0: hi guys welcome back to the podcast this is life beneath the shallows a place where we discuss our highest purpose our experiences here as humans and the deeper things in life today is such an exciting day we have our very first guest on the podcast jackson gillies i have been waiting to have a guest on the podcast for months now and it finally came together and he could not be a more perfect guest to start us off in this new chapter. Jackson is a talented singer-songwriter. He's an outstanding guitar player and music producer. He's working towards being a full-time touring and recording musician. He's also a type one diabetes and HS spokesperson and is an advocate for music as a tool for healing. I met Jackson a couple months ago in Santa Barbara and instantly was inspired by his story and I think you guys will be too. He gave an incredible TED talk in Santa Barbara in 2017 in which he discusses his life story and journey with his condition HS. He also appears on American Idol in 2019 in which he stunned the judges with a beautiful cover of Make It Rain by Foy Vance which I will link in the show notes below if you'd like to check it out. He has sung alongside and been mentored by the great Kenny Loggins and currently performs in California along with many other great artists. Jackson is, to me, a living example of not allowing his circumstance and challenges in his health and in his life to hold him back from his greatness. He truly has taken these obstacles and transformed them into something beautiful in his music and in his life. So without further ado, if you haven't checked out the podcast, Instagram, it's at Life Beneath the Shallows, and my personal account is at Naya.Lipman. I hope you guys enjoy this show today, and I will check back in with you after this episode. Is only Welcome to the podcast,
1: Jackson. Jeez, thank you, man. That was, that was hands down the best intro I've ever gotten.
0: Oh, my any, goodness.
1: you were any, anything ever. Thank you. Oh,
0: man. yeah, of course. I feel like you just have so many accomplishments, and you're just such an inspirational person.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. Of
0: course. That. So tell us about what's been going on in your life. What, what have you been working on? Any new projects? Any new music endeavors?
1: Yeah. Um, God, well, uh, so American Idol was 2019. Um, that was kind of a trip. And after that, I did a sort of a big reevaluation of okay, why did I do that? What am I doing? Um, and I concluded that you sort of you go on that show to promote yourself. It's a promotion tool, essentially. And I realized I was like, I don't really have anything to promote of myself. I really wanted to get songs under my belt and a vibe, as the kids say. Um, and I ended up going to school in London for about a year from September to March. It's really cool. Uh, a modern music school called, uh, the Institute of contemporary music performance, really small school. And it was like, it was like $8,000 a year. So it, it was super cheap. And, um, and I came home right during the pandemic. I mean, it was March. I think I flew home Friday, the 13th, like Friday, March 13th, right. When, when everything hit the fan and, uh, yeah, I got back to Santa Barbara, and since then I've been writing, like really actually trying to f- figure out my voice with writing and doing live performance and working on working on songs still and learning how to record and producing and mix and all that.
0: Good for you. I bet it's it can be challenging to find your own groove in the artist world. I know personally for me, but I feel like you have such a – such a beautiful voice and such a talent for guitar like you you clearly have found your sound I wanted to I was supposed to do this first but just for people listening to introduce how we know each other we actually met what was it like three months three months ago two months ago
1: it was February wasn't it
0: yeah February March oh yeah so two months ago um I grew up in Santa Barbara for those of you that don't know And uh, my best friend in Santa Barbara knew Jackson, and so we got introduced, uh, actually, like, at my birthday party, pretty much. Um, I had heard of him before, um, obviously, through the American Idol and through his music and whatnot. And, of course, being musicians, we jammed for a little bit out by the bonfire, and I just was so inspired by his story. So I'm so happy to have him here, and I'm excited to talk more with you today. Thank you, well, you told us a little bit about American Idol, but I really wanted to ask you more about your story and some of the big milestones in your life that have kind of brought you to where you're at today, like the person you've become today, and more importantly, how has music played a role in that? How has music kind of shaped and influenced the person that you've become hmm.
1: um it, it all music has always 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 been in my life. I have fond memories of waking up on like saturday and sunday morning to my dad just absolutely freaking cranking the grateful dead through the stereo you know full that's just how i would wake up there would be no choice except for to walk downstairs and jam out to whatever was playing um and at the same time my mom is an amazing uh pianist she can play anything by ear you know i'll play her a song that i just wrote and then she'll sit down and play it note for note after hearing it once which is so freaking frustrating um and I got into, and I, I never learned how to play guitar up until about six or seven years ago. So I always sang. I was just into musical theater and uh, always did that. Always did every school play I could. I could get my hands on. Um, I was Tom Sawyer in sixth grade. I like I tried tried out, and I tried out with a song from Les Mis. Oh my
0: and goodness!
1: I remember walking to school and like somebody telling me like, "You got it! Like you got the part." I'm like, "What?" And there was Jackson Gillies Tom Sawyer that was my first ever lead and I was That's was like adorable. This is pretty freaking cool. <laughs> um, yeah, it's always it's always just been I've just always been obsessed with music. It's just totally totally naturally in my blood.
0: I relate to that. I think that when you're a kid, you just know those things. Like it just cuz it just shows up so like unavoidably in your face. Uh, whether it's music or art or anything creative, really, like it just, it makes itself known. I did have a question. Did you, were you born in Santa Barbara or did you just grow up in Santa Barbara?
1: No, no. I moved, I moved here like seven years ago. That's when also I, oh, gotcha. uh, I was born and raised in Long Island, New York.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. Sweet. How was has that cool. changed for you?
1: Yeah, it was like super suburban white picket fence, you know, small town. But then um, 2009... Uh, My parents split up and I went with my mom out onto the further end of Long Island. And God, we moved like (laughs) nine or 10 times in in 11 or 12 years, um, finally ending up here. But uh, it was a big change. Well, we we lived in New York and then I'm a type one diabetic and I was trying to get better control of my blood sugars and New York is really freaking expensive. So we ended up moving to Florida uh, when I was 14 I loved it. Absolutely loved it. You know, it was super cheap and you could just walk out to the beach from where we lived. I mean, it was, you could throw a rock from the water from, from our front deck. And, uh, and then I got diagnosed with HS got, you know, I started getting these abscesses on my, on my inner thighs, like six or seven of them. I couldn't walk for a while. And then, and the naturopath who diagnosed me was like, yeah, you just moved to the worst place possible. It's like there's no oh organic food here it's hot it's humid you gotta get out of here so then uh yeah about a year we were in florida for a year and then we got to Santa barbara
0: gotcha so how old were you when you got diagnosed with hs you said
1: 14 yeah
0: 14 wow and so for those of you that don't know or even for me who might not know too much about the condition do you want to kind of elaborate on what what it is
1: yeah yeah i'll give you the rundown um uh, HS is short for hydratinitis suppurativa. Um, it's an auto, it's technically not considered an autoimmune disease, but it's basically an autoimmune disease. It's auto inflammatory. It presents itself with abscesses on basically where skin meets skin under the arms, and the groin. Women get them under the breasts. Um, and you get these abscesses from the size of a marble up to a baseball. In my case, I had one under my arm in high school. That was that was the size of a baseball. Um, and what I've concluded from it stems from it stems from basically what you ingest in your it's alcohol or tobacco or even stress. Anything that you put in your body is not processed correctly through your stomach, through your gut, and it comes out into your bloodstream. And then your lymphatic system tries to deal with it. The lymph, you know, the lymphatic system is the trash basically highway of your body and where you have lymph nodes where skin meets skin tries to deal with it and it gets totally overwhelmed and it comes out through the skin 230 million people have hs globally four percent of the population
0: i'm so sorry that you had to go through that i know that you've since kind of used it to spread awareness and become more of an advocate for the disease Can you tell us a little bit about what you've done since getting diagnosed to kind of spread awareness and create more knowledge on the subject?
1: Yeah. Well, when I, when I first got it, I was out of school for like probably two months, like a month and a half, two months, just because I was in so much pain. Um, And I also hated school. (laughs) Any (laughs) to not go to school was, was fine for me. Um, And I'm, secondarily i'm a type 1 diabetic and i got diagnosed when i was three when i was three years old um and i ended up doing like little commercials and photo shoots for jdrf the juvenile diabetes research foundation and it was it's they have a huge marketing campaign i mean you see billboards and mary tyler moore has it and and tyra banks and all these people so when i got hs i was like where's the awareness like where's anything about this condition where's
0: the representation
1: any representation, and so naturally, I just told people I was. They were like, "Where were you? Like, you were dead." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I got these freaking weird things on my on my thigh and my groin. Like, you know, I got these weird weird skin things." And the first day that I came back, I talked to a girl on the bus on, on my bus home, and she's like, "I get those." It's like, really? She's like, "Yeah," and I I lost touch with her, but she probably had HS. Like, wow. it's really, really common for for a lot of people to have it. I had a much, much worse case. But um but yeah, just I, I think that's that's more important than any ad campaign or, you know, television commercial. It's just speaking to people on a face to face basis and showing them, oh, this thing that could be my worst and deepest, darkest secret. You just tell someone that they don't care. They don't give a shit. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like they're not gonna judge you different it's that insecurity that that makes you hyper fear what someone will think or what someone will say. And, you know, you think you're going to tell somebody and they'll go, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. They're like, Yeah. OK, that's really the reality of it.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, how did it affect your confidence level 14? You're like right in right in that first year of high school, was it? Or yeah, like yeah how did that affect your confidence and your self-esteem?
1: It, re- it really kind of didn't. I, just,
0: I can totally see that for you. I feel like that's a, and that's really amazing. That's again why I just think you're such a strong, uh, just kind of resilient person, and I admire that. Like I can totally see how that you're just like okay.
1: Yeah, I was a cocky little shit, but in, a, <laughs> but in a but in a good like not not in a not in a good physical way. I was just like, it's it's that mindset of since being a diabetic since three. It's like you have an issue, complaining about it isn't going to do anything Yeah. Or, I just was built in with this mindset of, okay, there's a setback. I'm going to live life normally as if it weren't there because there's no other option. um Yeah, I remember showing up to school with a cane.
0: <laughs> oh I was
1: like, God. i out my cane. I had my friends put stickers on it, and it was like, oh my
0: gosh.
1: making the most out of it.
0: So then, um what led you to your TED talk? Was it 2017?
1: Yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah what led you to want to do that was it did it naturally fall about or did you kind of more pursue it
1: no it was it was it was a totally natural thing um they have tedx santa barbara so tedx is like an independently there's like the big TED, and then there's tedx which are which are smaller ones in towns and this girlfriend of mine posted on facebook she was like looking for music for the tedx event and i was like oh that'd be super cool i'd, I'd love to play I submitted some of my music and then there people reached out to me and were like, uh, dude, you definitely have a Ted talk. Like
0: you have a yeah, yeah. Ted
1: talk, Ted talk ever. Um, and that was in, I think July, June or July. And the Ted talk was in September and they were like, you know, everybody's been working on this since March or April. I mean, you'd put months and months and months yeah, yeah. minute presentation, no cue cards, no prompter, no memorization. And, uh, me and my mom, and my stepdad just spent the next three months violently writing this thing. <laughs> I mean, uh, they, they really put a lot into it and we ended up writing it and, and I memorized the whole thing and it, the, the impact from it has been amazing. I think it has 200,000 views on YouTube, something like that.
0: Yeah. And- I watched it yesterday and, um, it has, like, 270,000 or something.
1: Oh, my God, it went up.
0: And I wasn't surprised, though, because it was such a well-written and well-executed. Like, your presence on stage is is impeccable. I was super impressed. I was like, wow, that's one of the best TED Talks I've ever seen. And Thank your, your like, personability, you're able to, like, relate it in such an honest way was just so fascinating to me.
1: That was from the musical theater.
0: Yep, Years that, that will give it to you.
1: Diction and teachers saying, he, with every content. I'm such a little nerd in that video. Isn't that great? I got my glasses. Now yeah, you
0: look so different.
1: i packing my bowl cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was just, that was so freaking cool. Like, who gets to do that? Like, yeah. who gets to just give a TED Talk? I, I, and that's, that's the biggest thing. that I think I mentioned it in that video. Like, I think, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I think that's bullshit. I, I think that we are all just bundles of atoms and everything has an equal and opposite reaction. But I think it's the human superpower to be able to make sense of things that happen that are bad and to find the positivity in them. I think that's the true mark of, of a human being. Um, and that's what happened with, with having HS. You know, it it forced me to not... I would be a party animal. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I'd probably still be living in Florida, and it's Tuesday. I'd probably be still hungover from the weekend, you know. <laughs> and I'd be in a frat, and and maybe not that, but it, it's it's allowed me to really hyper focus on taking care of myself and being a musician and finding more in life and yeah. maturing really fast.
0: Yeah, I I think that's so beautiful. Of like just looking at it simply of like, okay, this is my circumstance. What can I do to make the most out of it? And you really did like with this TED talk and with your music and just your presence overall. I think you, like you just, I was talking before this podcast and I was talking with my mom and I was like, he just embodies this person who just like took a circumstance that's just not ideal. Like it really isn't like we're kind of sugarcoating it. Like it it can be really difficult for you. I imagine and um you just made the best out of it and that my next question for you is like does it vary on day to day like do you have worse days you know where you feel down and negative about it or do you maintain this positive kind of attitude do you think about it how has it kind of shaped since you first got diagnosed to now
1: when when i first got diagnosed um i got the diagnosis and then my the doctor who diagnosed me told me like you got to cut out all the food. And that was, I loved eating. The only thing I loved more than music was eating ridiculous amounts of food. Um, and that was real. That's been the, absolutely the hardest thing, but the biggest solution. Um, so from that point, from 2014 to now, I've cut, I cut out gluten, soy, sugar, dairy, corn, anything processed, anything, tomatoes, anything, potatoes, anything with spices, any nightshade vegetables. And then I was doing um, basically, Excuse me, chicken and organic vegetables like butternut squash and carrots and broccoli. But just in the past two months, I've cut just down to chicken. I literally eat chicken three meals a day
0: for oh everything. Um,
1: that's hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, tell me about. <laughs> it's, it. Oh my god, it's freaking
1: expensive, man. But um, yeah, it's 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 not even so much. It's not even so much that. It's not even so much the food thing. That's difficult. It's just a compound. So sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be flaring and I'll have have inflammation under my arm. I'll be like, okay, shit, I didn't sleep all night because of that. And I have this pain under my arm and I have to get up and clean this pan. If I want to eat a meal, I can't just eat something. I can't just take out a bowl of yogurt. I have to clean this pan and I have to wipe it down. Then I have to cut the chicken. I have to salt it. I have to preheat the pan if it's going to taste good at all. I have to do that. I have to cook afterward. I'm on four hours of sleep. I have a rehearsal to go to. I have to come home all the way from that rehearsal if I want to eat before the next thing I have to do. It's just like, it's all these little ball rolling things that'll make you tear your freaking hair out at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's just not something that many people have to focus on, right? Like to, it almost gives you like, or it gives me this deep sense of gratitude that I can get up and choose what I want to, eat in the morning like I really um I couldn't even imagine having to do that like you said sometimes just our life circumstances just give us these things that we just you know we don't like and we have to kind of work with so what do you do to kind of manage your mental health do you have any practices or things you do when you're feeling like really just over it over the over the repetition over the you know condition you have
1: um I'd say the biggest, the biggest thing that comes from my mental health isn't even, it's a whole other ball game. I mean, that is, that is annoying. That is frustrating on some days, but I am, I'm so easily prone to depression. I think every musician on earth is, um, I just had it this weekend, Saturday I played, uh, I got to play for earth day for Santa. I was the musical director for Santa Barbara's. Oh
0: my goodness. That is really cool. That's awesome
1: so freaking i got to play at the arlington which is like yeah 2000 seat theater albeit it wasn't it wasn't full you know it wasn't a 2000 seat packed house but it was me and and two other artists two other bands and uh i got to play a 45 minute set in the most beautiful theater one of the most beautiful theater in santa barbara all my homies were you know sitting in front cheering me on my family too and it's just the most life-affirming thing in the world i get to all everything, all the food, all the prep, all the writing and hours of practice lead up to that 40 minutes of just getting to be on stage and do whatever the hell you want. Um, and then Sunday, I wake up and I am just completely depressed. And it's, there's nothing wrong. I just had the best day ever yesterday, but it's, it's the chemical imbalance in me that you go from that crazy high to total normalcy and it feels like a low. Like, I wake up and I'm like, what do I do today? What do I do today that's possibly even at all comparable to the day that I had yesterday? And that's my biggest struggle is going from when my highs are high, they're the best. Like when I'm having a really good day, it's the greatest feeling in the world. Everything clicks and everything makes sense. Music sounds better, food tastes better. And then the next day you don't have such a good day and you have to just make sense of it it's the hardest thing in the world to do um i try to i try to breathe i try to start my morning with breathing exercises i'll just sit on my floor and like really no phone no anything concentrate and breathe um i won't use my phone for the first hour of the day i haven't been doing that for a while but that really makes a big difference
0: that's hard. I don't know how, yeah, I, it's not as easy as you think when it's like, a, such a habit. I've tried that for like the last couple of months and it just has not been successful. It's impossible, man.
1: How do you start? Do you do yoga? Do you do morning yoga?
0: Well, so I, I can relate in terms of the depression. I experience it a lot, especially, yeah, after periods of like really positive times in my life, it's almost like I associate like this neutral feeling with just low, like you said, like it's not even like anything crazy is going on in my life necessarily, but it triggers this, like I wanna live my life always up there, you know? I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's how I feel and I'm still figuring it out. I think it's like a lifelong process. I don't think depression is something that eventually you're just like, I just don't experience depression anymore. I do notice the more I do the things I don't want to in the moment, the better I feel. So like meditation, you're never gonna wanna do it when you're depressed, but knowing that I I'm not able to do what I need to do when I'm depressed, it that's what kind of motivates me to be like, I have goals and I have things I you know that I need to get done. But yeah, I'll do like Wim Hof for my first start of the day because when I experience anxiety, I notice I breathe really shallowly. So that gets me oxygenated. Really recommend that. It's like 10 minutes out of your day, you know? Mm-hmm. I do Wim Hof. Um, When I'm feeling really anxious or depressed, I'll do like a guided meditation. You know what the biggest thing has helped is exercise. Seriously, I'm so lazy that even just a 30-minute workout will change my whole day. You know, those are the things that I've found have helped me, but I don't know if you can relate. But yeah, like when I work out, like that's the only thing that actually moves that energy and takes it somewhere else for me. Yeah,
1: dude. Yeah, dude. Oh my God. I threw out my back like... A week ago, I had four, I threw up my back at the end of the, at the beginning of the week. And then I had four gigs. I played Thursday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like two and a half hour gigs. And I just skirted through them. My back was like, okay. And then I couldn't work out and I had been working out. So I got sober two months ago, totally. So I was doing um, uh, these uh, THC tincture. It's like half and half, see, yeah, yeah, we are aware of them. I think it was right after you left, it was like I remember I was I, I had just started carnivore and then I reintroduced those and I flared immediately after. Like,
0: so, wait, were you oh. taking it just out of curiosity, real quick? Were you taking it for pleasure or for, um, for like actual trying to like help with your symptoms? Like, has it helped no, with your symptoms? Fun. Okay, no, it, it, makes yeah. me, it
1: makes me worse,
0: yeah, because I was gonna ask, phone. like, does it help, um. Does it help with your condition? Because I do know that THC has helped with other people's, you know, own personal health, but it doesn't work for HS.
1: Because gotcha. THC itself is kind of, for a lot of people, it's inflammatory. It's an oily sort of inflammatory thing. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so I quit. I, it was just such a direct corollary. Like I had no flares because I was eating super clean and I wasn't doing them. And I did them maybe two or three times. Like I got high two or three times that week. And then immediately a flare on my back that just made it miserable to get in my car, get in and out of my car to sit on any surface. Um, and so I just replaced that with going to the gym six days a week. I was literally almost every single day and I loved it. And then I threw out my back and I couldn't. I couldn't go. I was so depressed for the next two days. Nothing was, literally nothing was wrong. I was just walking around like, total zombie. Like, like I had found out that everyone in my family had died in a car crash the day before. That's, that's how freaking important that exercise is, man. Regulating those chemicals. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Wow. I, I fully relate. And I, I think many other people can probably relate to like, when you, you're in a good flow, you're really in a good routine and then something happens and that's life, by the way, it's always going to happen. Something will happen and it'll knock you out. And you're just like, Damn it. I thought I had figured it out for a second there. You're like, I thought I cracked the code. It's like, what are you supposed to do in those moments where you are doing what you're supposed to, but then you can't even do what you're supposed to do to make yourself feel better. Like, um, that's just the worst I find when I like, yeah, like when I'm hurt and I can't do yoga or I mean, I guess meditation is like really what you go to It's just like pure Breath work, but that even just sometimes doesn't feel like you can get that energy out. It's just not the same, you know. Like we're animals; we need to physically shake off the trauma or like stress or whatever we're feeling in our bodies. Let's talk about American Idol. Woo! Let's uh-huh. get into it. I would love to know about um, what got you to the audition. You know what prompted that? How the experience was for you? All that good stuff.
1: Yeah, um, I think I was nineteen. I was probably 18 or 19 when, when that process first started. And at that point, I'd been playing music for like four years, five years. Um, and I was, I would just post videos on Instagram and stuff. And I think I'd done the TED Talk by then. Yeah, I had because I was 17. And this casting agent just reached out to me on Instagram and said, hey, you know, do you want to try out for American Idol? And I just said, yeah, it just made sense. It was a really cool thing. I didn't overthink it too much. Um, went to LA, got there at six in the morning, brought a hot plate <laughs> with a cooler full of meat and just cooked in the corner of the you know, of the holding audition room during the day. They got some pretty funny footage of that, which they didn't use. Um, and I was the last audition of the whole thing, of the whole season of that show. I, I got there at six and I think I auditioned at like I think it was nine at night. I think it was nine PM which is I think it was fifteen hours, like fifteen or sixteen hours of, of that day. I went in and uh just did my thing and I sang that I sang that song, which is kind of a gritty, gritty, bluesy, raspy thing, which I've kind of moved away from in my own artistry then uh went through and did the whole hollywood week thing which was really hard i mean you would get like two or three hours of sleep per night i had to wake up even earlier so that i could cook my food for the day um made it through the first round got a standing ovation i sang, sang a john mayer song uh dreaming with a broken heart made it through the group round i was the only person who remembered all their lyrics in the group round um and then the, by the third round i was completely zapped and i had the option to choose an original or a cover just do like a minute and a half of a cover and i looking back now it's really funny cuz there were a bunch of songs i could have done on there like just learned a minute and a half of but i didn't think i could do it It's so like i've never heard any of these songs before so i sang this original which is not that good really not impressive and uh yeah and that was and that was it um really grateful for the I mean, the, the audition on Facebook has 26 million views, like 26 wow. million views, which is That's an insane. incalculable number. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is what it did for people with HS. Honestly, like having Lionel Richie say the name of the condition and say what he said, which was, so he was like, um, he's like, I had a lot of things bothering me when I woke up this morning. but I'm going to go to sleep without a care in the world because of what you go through which is incredibly sweet. And uh, so many people got to listen to the TED talk and so many people commented on Facebook, like I've had HS for 30 years and I've never told anybody. And they didn't even know diet was a thing. I mean, un- unfathomable pain for the majority of their life. They just said, you know, I just told my family or I just told my partner and, and this and this and that. And that's like, that's more than any big number could, could ever mean. Really cool
0: that's amazing. That's, I remember watching the, I've watched it a couple times, but I watched it right before. And um, I'm going to link it in the show notes so you guys can watch it. It's really a great audition. And plus you connect with Katy Perry, who's also from Santa Barbara. And that was just so epic. Yeah. I loved watching that. You did such a good job. So I'm curious with these shows, obviously it's not what it seems. So when you first audition. Was it the audition that was taped or did you have a pre-audition before
1: that? Yeah, there's a, there's a pre one. You just, you go and you, you meet some producers and you know, they decide if, if you're going to go to the, to the big audition and they were, they, they, they like me. Um, I had a feeling that it would go on, but you do the big audition and then you don't know if it's going to air. Like gotcha. even if you get a yes, they might not air it, but I was so worried about it. Of course, they did like an eight and a half minute piece. Like the whole edition is like seven and a half minutes. They did the whole, you know, because I have a good sob story. They love. Yeah, they,
0: I was gonna say, story. like, do they do they ask you about that stuff before you get in? Like, I'm so curious. Like, do they say, like, yeah, like, is there anything really hard in your life that, like, we oh, should yeah. know about?
1: Oh, totally, totally. It's the only it's reason.
0: TV, you know, like
1: that's the reason why I got the the you know the gig that I did.
0: But you um, also, that's not the only reason because. Like some people have gone through the auditions and their voices are, you know, they're okay, they're good. And then their story is like really intense, but I feel like they just use some people's stories sometimes and exploit them. In your case, I feel like it was really positive because number one, you have an incredible voice, incredible performance and your your story was worth being heard. So in your case, like I think it was worth it that they did it and that mm. they, that they um, showed that, that part.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was really. They were pretty honest with it, you know. They were, so they were. Some of them were trying to get like the real, the real tearjerker thing. And I was like, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I literally, I told them, I'm like, you're not going to get tears out. I'm, I'm not going to oh do the. Oh
0: god! <laughs>
1: it's just so hard. I'm so grateful to be here on American. I remember when I was getting cut when they were picking me off the show. Um, <laughs> they put us. You know, they put you in three rooms. There's one room. There's two rooms that make it in one room that gets cut and they separate you and it takes forever. And uh, I remember hearing one room cheering and then the other room cheering. And I was like, I, I, the second that I heard my name called, I saw the other people that were in my group and I was like, okay, yeah, we're getting cut. Oh my
0: God. That's and so bad.
1: They came up to me with the camera. They're like, "Would this just be the worst thing ever. If you know, how would you feel if, if you were the cut room? I'm like, you know, it is what it is. I had I had a good time. They're like, But this would be the end of your line. And I remember looking at the producer, I'm like, You're not no. Move on. I told him, I was like, You're not getting it out of me. Because they yeah. want you know, they want the person crying and sobbing. Jeez. I hope I don't go
0: home. Um, yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's pretty comical. Compared to everything else that's happened in my life, it's like I didn't make it further on American Idol. Oh no.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it and with shows like that it's it's hard because you'll see 20 really talented musicians who are so different they're all unique there's yeah. no way they're all gonna win you know and it's it's really not a test to how good you are at performing i think it's it's, it's just they have to choose at some point what is like going to be the best for the show and what is good but so when you got reached out to by that agent was it like just a regular talent agent or was it from american idol
1: it was an american idol person okay yeah.
0: that's so cool and they found your instagram or how do they find you
1: yeah, just Instagram. Just Instagram and my That's website. So and, cool.
0: What and then, were you doing before American Idol in terms of like gigs and music? Um, like, had you created any? Uh, I, I think you probably mentioned you've created originals before that, but like, were you, did you have music out?
1: I don't know. I had nothing. I had nothing released. Um, I was, God, before Idol, I was playing like, I was playing this bar called Mosto Crudo on on Haley Street downtown. And I would do it every other Saturday for three hours. Three hours with like two 10 minute breaks and it was for a hundred dollars. So I'd make a hundred dollars for a three hour gig. Oh my gosh. And just, I would do another one at a a hotel. And that's what I did for for like four years moving moving to Santa Barbara, like three or four years was just background music gigs for two and a half, three hours. Nobody's listening, people are eating. Which yeah. that was that was the gig, you know. Yeah. It was it, it was good money. People want people go to a restaurant to eat, not to listen to music. Um But then yeah, I I, I knew that the idol audition was airing and, and I decided to link up with this producer, Jesse Siebenberg, this amazing guy up in Ohio, and uh choo- chose one of my songs to, to put out and release and did a music video and that was really cool. Like I've always, that's what I've always dreamed of as being a recording artist and, and releasing originals and stuff. Um, did that one. Did another one, and uh, right after that went to London. And I'm always like, I, I cringe at my old stuff. Even like, it's good. It, it really is. But I'm I'm so focused on just being better and better and better that I I sort of discredit everything that I've done in the past in order to move on to the new stuff and get better.
0: And that's <laughs> how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> It's so hard when you have, like, like probably, like, hundreds, thousands of songs and voice memos and things in your notes that you're like, oh, this could have been something really good, but you're like, am I going to go back to it? No. <laughs> you're like, am I going to – I mean, there. I kind of want to take a day personally just to, like, go back through all of the music I've ever made and just see, like, is there any, like, little nuggets in there, like, that I mm-hmm. could use? But it's hard because it's, like – as, I don't know about you, but for me, I want to write from where I'm feeling right now. So it's hard when you're like looking back and you're like, that's just not who I am anymore. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a journal entry, you know, like, why would I share a journal entry from when I was, you know, 13 <laughs> when I'm 21
1: now? Yeah. I call that knocking on doors. I'll do that every once in a while. I'll go yeah. through my notes and scroll and be like, let's see if I connect with this. I idea. mean, idea. in the
0: last like couple years, like it's super helpful because you forget sometimes like what you've actually worked on but
1: well it also lends perspective on who you are now oh, it yeah. really gives you a sense of like whoa i wrote that for you i thought that was good
0: yeah. you know <laughs> i know it's so cool to have like a diary of your of how you've grown like i think that that's really cool as a musician in terms of like finding your sound when you first started singing like what was your genre of interest
1: it was all musical theater. It was Les Mis. That was the first. I just I knew every single track off of Les Mis. Oh Mes. my gosh! Because um, my brother was doing it. My older brother Taylor was in the show in high school, and and then I did Guys and Dolls like four times in four different theater companies. So it was very Sinatra based. Um, and then when I started playing guitar, was the Avid Brothers, that uh, Avid Brothers folk band from from North Carolina. And that was the thing that made me go, I need to learn to play guitar, how to do this. So that was like kind of folky, country, singer, songwriter thing. Very lyric, beautiful lyrics, very lyric heavy. You know, it's like three chords. So it's yeah. all focused on the lyrics. Yeah. Um, then I got into, and I started getting more into the dead, which was always a thing in my, in my household and from my dad. And the Dead led me into John Mayer because John Mayer started playing lead guitar for the Grateful Dead, which became Dead and Company. Which
0: not a lot of people know. And When you told me that, I was like, what? And then I told a couple people about it and they were like, "That there's no way.
1: It's wild. It's and wild. it's wild how la- last year, last tour they did, they were the number one grossing, number one highest uh, at- tour in attendance. 21,000 people
0: oh per God. night. That's insane! Oh my Harry god! Gary Garcia died in
1: 1995, 30, 30 years ago.
0: <laughs> it's still going. It's I know, and like John Mayer, I mean, like it's it's confusing at first, but it also makes sense because he's just so geniusly talented that mm-hmm. it just makes sense. Ridiculous you got to see him recently, didn't you?
1: Yeah. yeah How yeah, was I it? It was really good.
0: You've seen you've seen him before, right? Or
1: I'd seen him once before live. I've seen him, I've seen John Mayer live twice, but I've seen David and Company like 11 times.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm envious. We have one place in Maui called the MAC, Maui Arts and Cultural Center, and that's where like big named artists will come. Nobody ever comes here. It's like ridiculous. So growing up here, you know, like you barely saw anyone. So I still like, I can count on one side of my fingers how many concerts I've been to. It's like, it's Mm -hmm. so sad, but- that's going to change hopefully in the next year. Or so, but yeah, I would yeah. love to see John Mayer.
1: We got to get you to a dead concert.
0: I, know. <laughs> I have like a grateful dead hat and a grateful dead shirt because my dad was very into them obviously. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would love to see that. I would love to, I definitely think, um, a move to California is coming up in my near future because Um, there's just so much more out there in terms of music and connections and whatnot. And I'm so like grateful here. And I really admire certain aspects of living on an Island, but there's just only so much you can get out here. You know?
1: Yeah. Is that the beach outside your door? Is someone lawn blowing? I hear like, is it the ocean I hear?
0: Sure. Let's say that if that's the ocean guys, no, it's (laughs) totally, I just moved. So my old house where I recorded podcasts, I had like a perfect setup. Yeah. And here it's just like you know, this is what we're working with is the beach <laughs> in the background. The beach. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, the waves are just funny. so big today, guys. <laughs> yeah, add a little ambiance. Yeah, I don't know. It's like this bizarre white noise in my room, and I'm trying to figure out what it is. But
1: that's pretty funny.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, oh, well, um, go that, ahead. That, that was leading into what I'm the musical thing, the John Mayer thing that led me into pop. And now I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of blend all of those. I have sort of the John Mayer, blues guitar thing, but I also really fell in love with Coldplay, like heavy, heavy into uh, Parachutes, that first Coldplay album, um, and then that led me into uh, Lizzie McAlpine, who's this amazing singer songwriter, um, really, really quiet, beautiful, and also pop. Uh, but amazing lyrics, amazing production. Um, And I'm trying to find my way through all of those influences to do something of my own.
0: I love all those artists, especially Lizzie. Like I haven't listened to every single song she's written, but I've listened to most and she's so good. She just has, I mean, she has the musical theater background, right? And you can tell because of the way she just articulates and she's, like so soft-spoken yet so like powerful with her voice and she's just so good. And I, she's a lyricist too, which I really admire. Like, I don't think a lot of people are, um, well, there are a lot, but for the most part, people I've met are not like lyric heavy. They're more like, they're just about the music, you know, and the beat or whatnot. And they don't even pay attention to the lyrics sometimes. And growing up, that's all I cared about. Like if I was like listening to a radio station and the lyrics didn't make sense to me. I'm like, how are people missing this? I don't understand. I don't know if you can relate, but I'm sure you can. Oh,
1: God, oh my God! It's right. It's I. I people listen to music. I'm like, how are you listening to this right now? Like, how are you tolerating <laughs> this music? No, that yeah, that is her. Her lyrics are on a totally different, totally different level, and it's it's even more impressive because. The music is on a totally different level and the production is on a totally different level. You have to listen to the, um, to the new album, five seconds flat.
0: Yeah. I've, I noticed she has new stuff coming out. She's performing a lot more as well. I noticed, which is awesome. It's yeah. So cool. I, she's definitely one of my influences. I'm finding my sound too. And, but I definitely think folky singer songwriter, you know, that's always been my genre of like, not too much production just very simple you know it's just about the the lyrics really for me and which is hard because part of me wants to like have a full orchestra and band and strings and you know what maybe one day that'll happen but for now I'm just like really focused on my lyrical structure and because Mm -hmm. I think I write in when I started writing music it was very like I don't want to say chorus heavy like there was no structure to my songs like it was just like here it is and that's totally fine you know some musicians they don't have structure to their songs but i am learning like okay what sounds good okay mm-hmm. it sounds better when you have like a little bit leading up to that chorus you know and stuff like that but yeah i really like lizzie very inspiring for sure we talked about american idol the last The last thing I wanted to ask you, though, about American Idol is, like, the coming off of the show. Just what was that period like for you, maybe, like, six months to a year after coming off of the show? You talked a little bit about um, it and about your move to London and all that. But what was it like? What did you decide to do? Like, was there momentum or did you feel like kind of a it come to a halt musically?
1: There was definitely a ton of momentum afterward upon uh you know announcing that i was doing the show i think that was like my light most liked post on instagram that i've ever had which is pretty cool i i really struggle with social media i can't tell you how many times i've downloaded and then deleted instagram <laughs> for my own mental health um but yeah after that i did um i did the the single and that was right around the time when my audition aired um I got to play some really cool shows in Santa Barbara. I played the red piano for this uh fundraiser and it sold out. Like that was the first time I've ever had a ticketed event where it was just me as a headliner and it completely I mean it was to the to the walls with people. Um that was amazing. We raised like 15,000, like 10, 10 or 15,000 dollars that night for this for this event um people donated and then we auctioned off these guitars that i signed and i was like i'll play a private concert if you you know if you if you buy this signed guitar and um i think i did another one or two shows after that um
0: did anyone uh, recognize you in santa barbara just out of curiosity like did anyone stop you and be like oh are you on american idol
1: for sure for sure that almost every time i went out for like for like the next little while, if I just went to Whole Foods or I was walking, <laughs> walking downtown. I got recognized in New York. I was at a dead show. And I was in the pit. And this woman offered me a joint. And I was like, I'm oh, good. Thank you. She's like, I feel like I know you from somewhere. And I was like, do you watch American Idol? She's like, oh, my God. She started freaking out. She told all of She's like, this is I watched him on American Idol. I was, you know, five and a half thousand miles away from home. That was, that was a riot. That was pretty cool.
0: That would be an epic moment for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was like, that was super fun. And then it just, sort of, it, it naturally sort of died out, especially when I left the country. You know, I, I kind of put a halt to everything musically, playing gigs. And I just wanted to write. I did not have songs. I, I wasn't consistently writing songs that I liked. I wanted to be able to import life and export music. Um, And I went to London and I was just banging my head against the wall while I was there. Because all I was focused on was I wanted to write, like, how do I write a song? How do I write a song? And I was just writing crappy songs. And then eventually I just sort of let go of it. And I realized I really needed to work on myself as a person. I had very little kind of social skill from missing so much high school and I just didn't know how to be a human being without music, without making music a thing or walking into a room and not having to let everybody in the room know I'm a musician and I'm good at music. Yeah. And this is what I do. I just thought that's what friendship was, was like providing value to the people that I, that I was talking to. And just in the past, even last year, I was still working on that. Um, my buddy, Ben, who I absolutely love to death gave me a, real reality check. because so I was asking him about that, about me talking too much and talking about myself and how he felt about our friendship. And he's like, I love you, man. He's like, I always want to ask how you are. And he's like, I stopped asking because I knew you were going to tell me. I was like, oh, and it was true. Every time I'd walk up to him, and would be like, sup, bro. How are you, man? Oh my God, this thing happened today. And then this thing happened today. And I just thought that was what friendship was as opposed to letting someone else go first and listening and really deeply listening and, and, and all that. So that was the beginning of that journey was in London, learning how to be a person.
0: Wow. I love that so much. I think that our, I liked what you said like about kind of just getting back to yourself before trying to write any more music. Cause if you're not, if you're not getting the outcome you like, usually that, that does mean like, okay, what, Like, how can I go within and kind of see what else is going on here? Um, At least that's been my experience. So I really love that you showed that. I think it takes some, as an artist, like it takes some, a lot of rediscovery so many times. I don't think there'll ever be a moment where you're not doing that, like taking a pause and just like checking in and seeing like, who do I want to be? Am I in alignment with that person? Is this are these my values? Are these somebody else's values? Are these the values of being in the music industry? Because so often I feel like we get caught up in these roles or timelines that we have to fulfill, especially like, if you want to be a successful music artist that can mean so many different things. There's just no one definition for that. Like maybe in the past successful would be like, you know, you're touring and you're known or maybe you're not even known and you're successful because you're making a lot of money at your music and you have a small group of following like, and then now we have influencers where everyone's famous. You could get famous overnight and now you can share your music and now you're seeing even more. It's just like, there's so many different paths now that it, it, you have to take a moment and be like, what is mine though? What is the way I want to go about this? You know? So what was your like conclusion from, your London experience and what you want for your music path, you know, to success and what that would look like for you.
1: I, I definitely knew what more, what I wanted my life to be. Cause that was, that was seriously missing. I was really miserable a lot because I based all of my value and all of my happiness on how I was doing with music. And that was useful for progressing because I would kick myself in the ass and never be happy with anything but when I got home from from London it was immediately the pandemic I didn't see anybody for 5 or 6 months I mean literally I I didn't even go into my parents house which is right next door it was the happiest I have ever been in my, that is my heaven is just waking up and I would like I would write or I would try to record stuff in logic And there was no expectation for it. That's when I wrote um, Breeze, which is like, I think, my most successful song that that I have yet. And it was because there was no weight on it. There was no weight on anything. I would get up and I'd be like, I'm just going to drive through the mountains today or I'm going to go to the beach today. And it was the happiest I had ever been. (laughs) And I miss it a lot. (laughs) Most people had a horrible time during the pandemic. I freaking, I loved just, I was, I wasn't chasing after any girl too. I had no, you know, no love interest. I had no influence from the outside world. Um, and that's what I really try to get back to. And that's what I've kind of found in the past couple months of just being absolutely content with whatever moment you're in right now. If you can do that, you'll be happy anywhere doing it. You can be happy standing in line at the DMV or at the grocery store. It's like, If you're just content with what is exactly right in front of you all the time, then you'll be a very happy person.
0: I love that. I I can totally relate. And I think I actually was one of those odd people as well in the pandemic that really loved it at a certain point. Not at the beginning, not towards the end, but in in the middle, like when things were just like, oh, I don't have to work right now. I don't have to, like, I did have to work and then eventually I moved home. And luckily my parents allowed me to have a grace period where they're like, just focus on getting back to mental health mm. and physical health, you know? Cause I was definitely not happy during that time, but like just being able to like have so much presence with myself and like wake up and, and not need to do anything is such a blessed feeling. Like not everyone gets that, you know? So to have that time is so important. Like if you can make time for that, and even if you can't, like what you were saying, there's still this possibility to be present in every moment. Like even if you have the busiest life, I think there's some truth to that of like, you can take moments to enjoy the in-between because that's really what life is. It's like the in-between moments, the story that we're living in our heads. I often like think of life that way. Like half of our lives are spent dreaming and imagining up all these scenarios and making assumptions and taking things too personally so like those in-between moments are actually life out on your front porch or watching a sunset or taking a stroll in the mountains like the most mundane things are just like actually the most beautiful because there's no pressure there's no alternative meaning to what it is it just is you know so yeah i agree with that and so have you felt that since you took that time, your music has, it's been easier to create or, or have you felt like by taking that like time to kind of just be, it allowed more creativity to flow after or what was that like for you?
1: Yeah, for sure. It, it I definitely got, I got better at, I got better at writing by just sort of, I could, I could sense when i had a song based on whatever experience i had and then i would just be able to sit down and say the exact words that i was thinking in my head like um uh i just had a break up in like june of last year and i was pulling into my driveway and i just sang out loud i was like some nights it hurts more than others some nights i can put it away some nights we were more than lovers. It feels just like yesterday. It feels just like yesterday. I was like, uh, I walked in and wrote that song in like 15 minutes. I was just wow. thinking of the idea in my head. And I, I had the context for it. And I was clear-minded. And it just, and it just came out like that. Um, and it wouldn't have happened unless I was in a state of, of just present presentness. Um so yeah, I'm trying to take those songs that I've written in the past 3 years and now I have a whole new demon which is producing. <laughs> which
0: Oh boy, can so I really
1: It's so bad for my mental health if I if something doesn't go right, right, I've I'm working on one song for the past 4 months, I think, and I'm on the 6th version of it. I've restarted the entire project 6 times. And uh that's pretty uh that's pretty detrimental. But I- I've gotten better with I'll record something and then I'll I'll start putting it in the mix and I'll work on it, work on it, work on it, and then I'll bounce it and then the next day I'll come back to it and it won't be right. And instead of being crushed, I'll go, Okay, this isn't everything. You know, it's not coming out tomorrow. This isn't the end of the world. I learned more and I'm moving on from it. And I think that's the only way you can you can do it. You have to fail to get better. And if you can just be better at failing, then you'll be a lot, a lot happier.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And take breaks, like take breaks away from um, projects. Cause I totally get that. The production is where I stop actually. Like when I have to record and like actually get that song out there, that's when I have the hardest time personally is like, because of the perfectionism of like, oh, that just doesn't sound good. That's not how I want it to present. That's not like, and it's just, it's almost never going to be perfect, just like a painting, never going to be finished because it's such an intimate part of yourself. That's why like when you're writing a song that's not super personal, it's almost easier to put out because there's less of a connection. There's less of a depth. There's less of a weight to it for you that you're just like, "Um, okay, I can do this, you know? And there's not, but then- when you put those songs out, they don't mean as much as like the ones that really, you know, you know, are a reflection of your life. I think any like great musician, they write about their lives and their own experience with love and life and challenges. And, and um, yeah, so I, I get you on the production part though. Do you produce all your own music right now? I'm
1: trying to (laughs) the last, the last three songs, the, the very, Most recent song that I did, I Could Have Loved You, I did with Lizzie, McAlpine's producer, Phil Beathering. Oh my God. Amazing. I mean, I listened listened to that new Lizzie record and I was just full of rage because it's so perfect. Every single element is so perfect sounding. Um,
0: I don't know how she does it, man. Do you think it's her, like, do you think it's the practice that goes into it or do you think it's. Just the organization of the way he produces it's, it's, with her.
1: It's him. It's I mean, of course it's a song is only as good as what it sounds like with an acoustic guitar and a voice. And her doing that is stunning. But the way that the way that he records, um, he's he's using great microphones, great mic preamps, a very nicely treated room. Um he uses good Samples, good instruments, but it's also just the way he layers it. I mean, having perfect low end, the relationship between the bass and the drums is always great. It's either a low sub bass or something a little bit higher that isn't as rumbly, and the kick takes the place of the sub. Then you have like in between 100 and, and 500 hertz, which is the low mid range, which is the lower part of the voice. That's all the mud. You can't have too much down there, but that's where a lot of instrument lives. That's where. All the low part of the neck on the guitar lives. That's where all the low part on the piano lives. That's the top end of a low drum. Then you have the mid-range of the guitar. And he layers guitar, strings, keyboards, background vocals, and her vocal. But you can still hear it. You can still hear her voice so perfectly on top of the mix. And it's not separated. That's my biggest problem is like, I'll have a mix and either my voice will sound like it's separated from the instruments. It's too loud and too forward, or the instruments will sound like they're at the right volume. And then the vocal will be like kind of masked out and not as loud and forward as you want it to be. And it's all, most of that just comes down to frequency arrangement, having all of your instruments in a frequency that isn't masking the other ones or, or canceling.
0: Yeah. The EQ that's yeah. I, I like work with that a lot when, um, when I'm trying to work on the later production of my music and it's so difficult, you have to be very skilled to know how to do that. But then with producers like him, he probably has just like a rhythm, you know, of like to, to get the outcome he wants. That's just how production works. I think is you just get better at knowing for your voice, what sounds good and, and where to put it. And like you said, it just comes with time, but it's just so frustrating when you just want to get it out there already. (laughs)
1: Well, it's, it's also dogged persistence. I mean, the uh, "Reckless Driving," which is the song that that he did with Ben Kessler, Lizzie did with Ben Kessler. Um, there were thirty different arrangements that they did for that. Wow,
0: song.
1: thirty! I'm on version six, and I'm about to lose my mind. It's real. Some of some of it is just knowing your stuff, and some of it comes easily, and then the rest of it is just unbelievable persistence to get the exact right sound.
0: That's yeah. And I think that's like with music, that's the things you don't realize that goes into an artist's day-to-day life. Like, especially for like a professional musician, like it's hard work putting out a song and it's even more hard work putting out an album and all the work that goes into it, you know, it's not. And I think that's where like going back to like what it means to be a successful musician can change because some successful musicians aren't recording artists, you know, they're live musicians. And they have a couple songs that are recorded and then some are strictly, you know, focused on creating that that recording and that that kind of final version of that song. So it really just, it it's up to you, you know, and what you actually want out of your music. Yeah. yeah.
1: What's your version of being, of, of making it?
0: You know, I'm still figuring that out. I think when I was a kid, it was like, pop star be a famous pop star and like sing on every stage imaginable you know that was definitely the success and then and then it was recording artists and now it's like okay getting better at performing and being a confident confident and cuz i feel like you have a lot of confidence um in delivering you when you sing at least that's what i've noticed i i wouldn't say i'm not good at that but i would say it floats in and out and I don't have a consistency with that. So that's like my latest focus is being successful to me means being able to show up as who you are to the best of your ability and just play good music, but also, but also show people where that came from, you know, and, and be authentic to that. So obviously I would love to record and tour and, and, be heard and seen as well but i'm learning to be patient in the process (laughs) because it's 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 not linear you know for sure yeah so i am so glad you came today we have a little bit more time i wanted to ask you before we end you talk about a little bit in your website and just in general about how healing music has been for you personally And I just want you to go into that a little bit more. Like, what does that mean really to you? And how do you believe music has healed you and has the potential to, to be this like tool of healing?
1: Mm. I write a lot of sad songs (laughs) and people don't really get it. Sometimes they're like, why do you write so many sad songs? Especially because I'm a very happy person. I'm very not gloomy. Um, I love happy songs. I love up songs. They're like two sad Grateful Dead songs ever. Um, But I listen to a lot of Grateful Dead. And what music has done for me is taken a moment where I literally can't function, where there's nothing else I can do, um, like being in bed with HS or just being so depressed that I don't want to, get out of bed or move or talk to anybody and it just makes sense like when i really get in those down states last week when i you know when i when i couldn't work out and i was and i had just finished those gigs and i had nothing to do i was so miserable and i just went time to get to work and i sat in this chair and i sat at this desk and i just worked on that song and for the next four hours, I had something to do other than, you know, I couldn't watch. I couldn't watch a TV show. I couldn't focus on anything. Um, so that's what that's what music does for me. When I'm in those absolutely low points, I'll sit in my car and and listen to you know Phoebe Bridgers. I'll listen to that Punisher album, and it just makes sense. It feels good, even when you're. It feels. It's the only thing that feels correct when you're in those horribly low states because it makes you feel understood it makes you feel like you're not the only person going through that um and that the world isn't just this happy right place um and i hope that my music can do that for for other people as well be that um be that thing that you know when they just got broken up with or had a really shitty day they could just sit in their car and just crank it and and have some sort of release
0: That was very beautifully said. I agree with you a lot on that. I think music is essentially the soundtrack to our lives. You know, when you say you're having that main character moment like that, you're not doing it without music. You know, it's, it's really like this. It's like a connector, you know, like I, and when I visualize it, it's like an energetic connector between those moments, like you said, where, um, something might be telling you one thing and you're just like, no, that's just not how I feel. And music is like the thing that's like, yep, I'm on your side here. And it, I think it's just so beautiful when you can find that one song that's like, this was written towards me. Like it was written for me is very special. And to be able to write that for someone, like you said, and like to be able to help someone feel a little less alone or a little just validated in their experiences is really powerful. And I think- I think that's awesome. And I think you're already doing that with your music and you're already doing that with your endeavors and and just your presence. Like I really, I am so glad we got to meet and I can't wait to see like what you do in the future and just how you grow as a musician.
1: Thank you, man. Thank Thank you so much for having me.
0: Two things. First, how can people connect with you, find you online and listen to your music and also just find your kind of, your platforms, your online presence?
1: Yeah. You can go to um, jacksonsings.com. jacksonsings.com. Everything's on there.
0: Amazing. And then on Spotify, it's just under Jackson. you pronounce Gillies, correct?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. That's also linked through the website.
0: Awesome. Well, just to conclude the episode, is there any last minute words of advice you have to musicians, young musicians or old musicians who are still finding their way. Any tips or personal advice you have?
1: Play for yourself, play for yourself. The biggest, uh, just in the past few months, the the, the best music I've played with this, uh, I'm doing a trio project, um, just myself on electric guitar and then bass and drums. And uh, the best I play with them is when we're just playing for each other. It's it's hard sometimes because you get in a room of people and you read their energy and you go, okay, I'm going to try to play quieter. I'm going to try to play maybe this genre of songs. And it just makes you think about what you're doing and you're in your head the whole time. But if you just go, I'm just going to play as if the three of us were in a room and just having fun, that's when you play your best and that's when you give your best performances. So if you're nervous about playing in front of people or what they're going to think, don't care. Uh, it's easier said than done, but don't care what people think. Just play for yourself because in four hours when your gig is over, they're going to forget that you exist and then you're going to have to go home with yourself. So if you play for yourself, you'll uh, you'll get better and you'll be happy.
0: I love that. I'm definitely going to take that advice for my next gig. So thank you, Jackson. I hope you have a, such an amazing day and thanks for coming on the podcast and... I hope to see what you do soon, see new music coming from you. And if you guys want to check Jackson out, which you definitely should, I will link all of his, his fun little links in the show notes and yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Such an awesome first guest on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed Jackson's story as much as I did. If you'd like to check out his music and more about him, you can click the links in the show notes below. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode and have an amazing week. As always, check out the podcast on Instagram at Life Beneath the Shallows and stay tuned for new episodes by subscribing to whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you so much.